0: Slovenly trolls, Slovenly trolls, we're big, bad, evil girls. Hello and welcome to the Slovenly Trolls podcast, where we talk about D and D, feminism, and other nerdy yet still cool stuff. My name is Lissa.
1: and I'm Charde.
0: And you may be wondering how I sound so different because I'm in charge now. <laughs> So today we'll be talking about pronouns and their importance, and we're going to be looking at the writing and rhetoric, re- rhetoric? R- rhetoric, rhetoric, the writing mm-hmm. and rhetoric of the player's handbook. Um, since this episode will be a kind of a runoff from the previous one, um, so instead of pictures, that we're looking at the actual writing, um, and we're going to be looking at the D and D classes and their masculine influences. So we are going to focus on what we see as the most read sections of the player's handbook uh, because, as we all know, the player's handbooks are big girls. Uh, So we are specifically looking at some of these sections, including the races, classes, and the introduction sections um, of actually all of the previous uh, player's handbooks as well the advanced dungeons and dragons all the way through 5e and we will have sharday take it away oh me is it my show <laughs> <Me>. now <laughs> yeah it's no. my show now <laughs> i run the ship
1: you are the captain and I, what does that make me the first mate now
0: uh you're my the Schmitty. motor i control you
1: the motor so mm-hmm. i'm not even a person i'm i'm nope. a mechanical device yep okay well you know that checks out Um, so yes, I will, so part one, this is part one, woo, pretty music, whatever, uh, (laughs) this is the beginnings of the player's handbook. So before we dive into the specific sections, we first want to talk about how, uh, the introduction slash the first few pages of the player's handbooks, like how does that make us feel? Because, you know, when you walk into a bookstore, like when you pick up a fiction book or nonfiction self-help the player's handbook you look at the cover you see how pretty it is right because we all judge books by their covers let's not lie to ourselves obviously obviously and then you kind of you read the back see what it's all about and then you flip to the first few sections i am not including people who flip to the back of books lauren my best friend Those people don't exist to me. They're cheaters. You don't flip to the back of the book to see how it ends before you pick up a book. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. So I'm operating under normal people rules (laughs) where you flip on the first few sections or first like a few pages and you read a couple of lines and you see how that works. So in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, it's actually not as bad as you think it is. So the introduction uh, is actually on the second page. It's a foreword. It's written by Mike Carr, CARR. He was in the TSR games and Rule, he was the TSR and TSR Games and Rules Editor. Wow, that shouldn't even be a tongue twister, but apparently it was for me. Um, and he wrote this forward to kind of welcome people to the game, and here's an introduction of what we do, very standard stuff. But there's this one line that kind of sparked the inspiration, or part of the inspiration for this entire episode, about how this was written. So let me just read that for you all. So D&D players, happily, come in all shapes and sizes and even a fair number of women are counted among those who regularly play the game, making Dungeons and Dragons somewhat special in that regard. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's not the worst. But also the way I interpreted this, because obviously I have some bias as a woman, and I'm in a perspective of someone who grew up in the '90s, is a millennial, has a per- certain perspective on things. But like You're reading also a writer. that, I am also a writer. <laughs> that is true. So You're I no know words. The I well, that's debatable. I can't spell, <laughs> but I know different words, <laughs> and. Just so it just seems like and correct me if I'm wrong, it it just seems like this sentence is treating women like a commodity. And I think that's a bit problematic. So if you were a woman and you read this in 1979, oh, my gosh, uh, what would you think? Would it be inviting to you? Or would it be a bit like, ooh, I don't want to be, like, just a prize to be won. I don't want to be, like, a commodity here. Like, even some women, I think, was the phrase that really, like, I I did not like it. I don't know, what do you think?
0: It's kind of like um, when you – when you try to really badly sell on, you know, one of those television um, shop things where you call in and, or you t- send a text message and you buy something off the TV, one of those TV shop channels. It's kind of like really bad um, advertising or selling where it's like, buy this Hoover and additionally, you will get all of these <laughs> things on top of your Hoover if you call now. Yeah. So it's like buy this game oh additionally some women play it too look at that that's, <laughs> that's like a miracle we didn't expect this but here it is
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not it's not great so if you're like if you picked up this player's handbook and you flip through it as a woman and you saw that sentence I, think, I believe this is in the second paragraph of the forward it's just women don't like being treated like commodities i don't know if y'all know this but uh they don't but by all means, this isn't the worst example. And, um... listen, so why don't you take away what, what the fuck they did in 2nd Edition? <laughs> in so, the introduction.
0: Yeah, so we looked at 1st Edition first, and we were like, okay, you know, this isn't too bad. I mean, you know, it's not perfect, but... And then we came to 2nd Edition, and, uh... Let's just have a moment of silence for um 2nd Edition and how majorly, uh... They made certain choices that, uh... Not entirely female-friendly.
1: That's a, that's a phrase for it.
0: Uh, so I will read you. So they have a specific uh, section in the introduction of the second edition. Um, well, it's not an introduction, but it is the introduction because it comes after the table of contents. Um, so there's a specific section that's called A Note on Pronouns. <clears throat> the male pronoun, in brackets, he, him, his is used exclusively throughout the second edition of the AD&D game rules. We hope this won't be construed by anyone to be an attempt to exclude females from the game or imply their exclusion. Centuries of use have neutered the male pronoun. In written material, it is clear, concise, and familiar. Nothing else is. <laughs> so um what it's saying here essentially is that uh they're not trying to be sexist or exclude women but big but let's just use the male pronoun anyway because <laughs> Because it's just, it's normal writing, and centuries of use have made it so that women, when you read about he, him, and his, you just assume that you know that, you know, it's including women, too. I feel included when I'm reading about him and his opinions and this he player doing these things. And I feel totally included in this situation, because apparently he, him, his is so regular, it is actually Neutered. What do you think about that, Shirley?
1: I hate that word. I hate that word, and I will tell you why. Because neutered is a synonym for like castration. So when you neuter a dog or neuter a cat so they don't procreate, it's basically a synonym for castration. So the way they're using it is technically correct. But it evokes images of castration, right? And I'll get into a bit more about why that's significant later. But I just think y'all should keep that in mind, that that was a very specific word choice. And when I read this specifically, that word stuck out to me. Like, a sore thumb. And it's, like you said, it's like this whole section is like, well, we don't mean to be
0: sexist, but. Yeah, yeah. And ugh. I think what gets me is that they could have ended in it with the, with the sentence in written material. It is clear, concise, and familiar mm-hmm. um, as to explain why they have chosen this. But then they added the sentence, nothing else is clear, concise, and familiar. So that's, it's like, you don't need to say that. And it's, it's like, they're trying too hard almost.
1: Trying too hard specifically to like say that they're not being sexist.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or or to back it up that like he, him, his, this is the valid option, obviously. For being gender neutral. For which being is gender neutral.
1: It's incorrect too, because according to the Harbraced College Handbook, which is a big deal in the writing English properly world. In the 90s, by that time, this college handbook, which was seen as like a Bible for English courses in college, I don't know, this might be like an elitist thing to say, I don't know if these guys went to college, if they did or didn't, if they weren't aware of this book. But it was a big deal at the time for anybody who wrote stuff down and who produced written content. It was actually by 1990 encouraging people to avoid using gendered pronouns that could exclude either gender or play into stereotypes.
0: So when was this book written?
1: It was, I think the original edition, and don't quote me on this, was written sometime in the 60s. And it was one of the most, it is the best-selling handbook of all time, like best-selling textbook handbook of all time. Mm. And it's had many, many different editions, many, many different um, rule changes. Mm -hmm. And by 1990, in the Harbrace College Handbook, they were encouraging people to not use exclusive language, like gendered pronouns. I found this out and I'm just like so really even grammatically their explanation for saying that oh well this is a neutered pronoun like this people are used to this. I'm like yeah well I don't think that's technically correct though. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I mean this was written in the 90s so we are going to excuse them that they the, the importance of pronouns back then wasn't as big Um, that didn't come right. That has been more of a recent development, unfortunately. But it's still good that, you know, we've gotten to the point where we now understand pronouns. But this was written in the 90s. Um, but, I mean, Shakespeare already used they, them as a singular pronoun. Um, so I don't know. It just, But I guess it never just caught on. So to use they, them as a singular pronoun, because, I mean, there is the... Uh, little bit of difficulty to distinguish between is it a group of people or is it a single person
1: yeah Um, it is confusing because yeah and and i won't get we we shouldn't get too much about it because you have an entire diatribe prepared about the importance of pronouns uh coming up in just a few minutes but we will round out this section by uh skipping over 3.5 and fourth edition Uh, because they don't really have any introductions and they don't have any sections that we could find in our research uh, to any specific notes on gender or sex or anything like that. Now, um, we didn't have a a lot more resources to search through those books. Caveat, we uh, have good copies of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd edition and 4th edition and 5th edition. But 4th edition we didn't find anything. Um, But in 5th edition they do have inclusivity statements about sex and gender. Which is phenomenal. As far as we know this is the first time that Dungeons and Dragons has a section on sex and gender. Um... And it's on page 121 for our listeners who may or may not have their player's handbooks handy. And it's just a section entitled Sex. And it says, you can play a male or female character without gaining any special benefits or hindrances. Think about how your character does or does not conform to the broader culture's expectations of sex, gender, and sexual behavior. For example, a male drow cleric defies the traditional gender divisions of drow society, which could be a reason for your character to leave that society and come to the surface. You don't need to be confined to binary notions of sex and gender. The elf god Corellon Ler... Lerthian? its It's an elf name, I don't... Larethian, Oh my god. Lerethian? is oft- Lerithian? It's fucking elves. Is often seen <laughs> <laughs> as androgynous Or hermaphroditic, for example, and some elves in the multiverse are made in Corellin's image. You could also play a female character who presents herself as a man, a man who feels trapped in a female body, or a bearded female dwarf who hates being mistaken for a male. Likewise, your character's sexual orientation is for you to decide. So as far as we know, this is the only acknowledgement of stuff like this in the player's handbook, which is great. It also kind of acknowledges... Critiques of earlier editions where strength scores kind of um, dif- differ depending on your sex, which is a topic mm-hmm. for another time. Um, but we do have one critique of this. And it's not a critique of the section because the section itself is great, but it's the placement of the section. Because due to D&D's past, as we talked about with second edition and Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition... Um, they had kind of iffy slash straight up bad introductions when it came to women, like including women and other genders, other identifying genders in their introductions. So if they really wanted to make a point, why isn't this statement in the introduction? Why is it on page 121? Now, yeah. I don't think 5th edition has an introduction statement. Like it doesn't have a preface. It doesn't have like a note to our readers as far as I'm aware. At least not the edition that I have. So I'm not quite sure what the place for it would be. But I think like maybe a potential note for the future is just ha- like bring back the introduction. Say hey we love everyone. We love people. We love all genders. We love all sexes. Please play our game. Like at the at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know, is that is that a fair thing to say? Because I feel like it's a bit nitpicky.
0: I mean, it's a bit nitpicky, but also when you or me or anyone who's trying to pick up this book and you're trying to see if you can like empathize with or see yourself as a player of this game in the same way that we had in the art episode, Like, if you see yourself there, if you can see yourself as an example or as a person who's playing this game, with the use of the pronouns, with, you know, the inclusivity, if you can see that they are actually welcoming you as a player to play this game, if you flip through the book and you don't land on page 121, which is the character personality and background creation specific mm-hmm. section, if you don't land on that page, um, there's no notes on any way where on how you could be inclusive essentially right. i mean you you look through, you look at the pictures the pictures are better than from previous editions so you do have you know people of color you do have like women um classes and things so those are the things that people will look for but specifically in the text if they start reading the text there's nothing to say that oh we are trying to be very inclusive and you can create any type of character you want You can be, you know, gender neutral. You can be asexual. You can be, you know, whatever you want. You have to flip to page 121. You have to read the sex part. And that's, it's just, if they could say it somewhere else, I'm not saying move the entire section because it makes sense to be on page 121. I'm just saying if they had an introduction where they specifically said, you know, we want people who have disabilities. We want people who we want to try and challenge you know the history of D&D and the male centric image that um these the history of D&D has so we want to try and challenge that so like and then to include like a text of saying like a statement almost a manifesto or mm-hmm. or some kind of statement yeah i guess i'm saying because yeah. like there's nothing there it's just you just they go into it, but in order to I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm conflicted because I, I would me as a reader would want there to be an inclusivity statement. I don't know about other people.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it'd be really nice. I think it's amazing that this is here because and one good thing we can say as we kind of round out uh, part one is you can track the progress that D&D has made through these introductions and through a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode, you can just track the progress just by reading these, this writing that like you could track how well they did very similar to art. You can track how much Dungeons and Dragons has developed and how that you, you know that they're thinking about these things just because this section is included. But I think it's worth offering up the critique that while it's great this section is here, we love it. we stand fifth edition. obviously you're probably sick about hearing about it by now. Mm-hmm. but um, maybe in the future for a future edition or for a revised fifth edition, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility or out of I don't think it's too much to ask to just say, hey, can you just like write an introduction? Like welcoming all players of genders. And then you can restate it in that same section. Like it's fine to say it in two places, just to like really emphasize the point because it's not excluding anybody. It's welcoming everybody. I don't think it would be overkill at all personally, because as far as I'm aware, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Five e has gotten a great reputation because of its inclusivity, but that's more of word of mouth,
0: not mm-hmm. necessarily
1: because people have stumbled upon this section, I think.
0: I mean, I think that's, be it, it's like, I think that would be because of, compared to its historical, you know, players' handbooks, it's way more inclusive than, you know, if you take a look at, like, the second edition. So, yes, they're very inclusive, just because if you compare it to what they were, I mean, we're going to go into it, but those stats just make me mad.
1: Yeah, why don't we, we could, well, well, just go into it right now. I think we've said all we've had to say about um, introductions and, like, the importance of like the first thing that you see when you open a book. And there there's rhetorical significance to that, which I'll get into a bit. Um, but first, we have part two, which is pronouns, pronouns. point of view. And uh, Lissa is going to go into a lovely speech about the importance of pronouns, which I'm sure our listeners are aware because we all live in the same time. But I think it's important to... To emphasize, and you did a lot of a lot of good research on, like, not only what pronouns mean, but also why they're important in the context of D&D. So take it away, take it away, you're
0: the captain. I am the captain now. <laughs> um, so, um, I don't need to tell you that pronouns are important. Um, I think society has come to a quick realization um, with uh, everything that's happened and... Um, Uh, People of all genders getting more um, awareness. And I think that's an important development in society. And I think pronouns are really important because they are a sign of identity and they are a sign of respect. So knowing someone's pronouns is respecting that person. Um, So pronouns are used to identify people. Um, So we they are essentially labels that we use in the language to make sense of the world and to talk about something um, without repeating their name all the time. So you don't have to explain, you know, Janet did this and then Janet did that. And Janet picked up the, you know, cup of coffee and Janet put put the spoon in the cup of coffee and Janet did this. So, you know, yeah. yeah. So it's a way to avoid redundancy as well. But also, um, in a society where gender is a social construct, we come into a little bit of a a place where um, the English language doesn't really have anything built for, well, in its history, the English language doesn't have a gender-neutral pronoun, a singular gender-neutral pronoun, um, that you can use to just talk about um any anything other than he or she because there there is no middle ground there is no other than it or they them and again that's like a that can be confused with a group of people i mean i'm not saying that's not a good pronoun i mean if you want to use they them that's i love it i love it um but like the english language it's just it there isn't a built-in gender neutral pronoun um, but I come from a country where we do have one. So I'm just gonna plug that in right there. <laughs> and there are Finland there are plug. The... Finland, Finland plug. plug. <laughs> um there are other countries, um, including Finland who do have gender neutral singular pronouns. Um and you know, that's great. But like the English language, it doesn't have one. So, you know, we're having to come up with you know, new pronouns. And that's going to take time for people to, I mean, in order for, you know, like everybody on every corner of the planet and every person who doesn't even, you know, support, you know, inclusivity to get that into their vocabulary, that's going to take time just because it's not built into the language. So, yeah. So in in terms of D&D, that also comes into play um, because unless you have a player's handbook that's in a language that has a singular uh, gender neutral pronoun, you know, you're not able to use them. So uh, based on my research, I think the only one that they have right now out is Korean. So unless you have Korean, there is no singular gender neutral pronoun that you can use.
1: So you mean in terms of, like, translating the player's handbook into mm-hmm. another language that has a gender-neutral pronoun? The only yeah. translated player's handbook or guidebooks are in Korean. They don't have a Finnish one. They don't have one in another language that has a gender-neutral Not that pronoun. I can
0: find, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay. There could be one out there that I don't even know about. hmm But, yeah. So, it, but it. but the good thing is, it's, it's not just a problem when D&D... The good thing is it's just a general problem with the English language. So, so just fix English. <laughs> just fix the English language. So let's, let's no get deal. these new pronouns. Let's add them to the vocabulary and everybody just use them. And well, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a job in itself to try and get that to happen. Right. Um, and so we do have pronouns in the player's handbooks as well. Um, As we did discuss, and as we know, because in any writing, you're going to have pronouns. Uh, So we took a look at the player's handbook, um, the 5E1, uh, for its pronoun uses, as it's the most advanced edition, but it still suffers um, from a history of men dominating the game, essentially. And its history from coming in from war games, et cetera, et cetera. Male centric, you know, cis white, you know. Um, <laughs> the whole shipping. Yeah, that all that good good stuff. Um it's the easiest for us to access. Um, so that's why we took like, a of five E and we did I well, I did a lot of research on that one. Um and so did you, actually.
1: <laughs> we both it. did we both did a lot of research on it, but We both did. you did like specific on these specific examples
0: yeah i did specific examples on the pronouns um so we only also had a limited time to read and analyze um the books so if you want us to do the other players handbooks in great detail you have to pay me or you can just <laughs> log on to our patreon and you know send us some money at i will
1: patreon.com slash can't be killed creations i think we'll have it linked
0: <laughs> we'll have it linked yeah um, and we can take a look at the other handbooks, also, I will need to buy them, so yeah, nobody's sponsoring those um so yeah, we took a look well, I took a look at player's handbook um for the different sections in it, so the player's handbook is divided into examples that run throughout um some of the different sections, so in the beginning. You have the instructions on how you build a character, how you do the math, how you build the character sheet, what um, stats you do, how to do all of that good stuff. Um, And guess what uh, example they have? They have a man creating a gruff dwarf. And I'm not saying gruff dwarf. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, where's the female example? But yeah,
1: why couldn't they have two? Or, like, why couldn't they just do a yeah. female example?
0: So, it's it's specifically called Building Brunor. And Brunor, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. Brunor, Brunor. Brunor, and he's building this character called Brunor. And he's making all these decisions for his character. But... it it, it was a bit weird, even when I was reading the Building Brunar. It's, he, it uses the pronoun he, him, his, and he, at no point does he actually make a distinctive like, selection of which sex character he wants to do. Or Mm. even the gender. And I, I guess, I guess that makes sense in the way that you know that's like a personality trait, so that would come in the personality section. But it, right. it, but there's a crossover between the he, him, his pronouns, and they, they pertain both to the player who's making the decisions and the character, and there's no distinction between the two, not really, because so they're it's both not he. even
1: It's not even a conscious decision, is kind of what it's you're
0: not even a conscious at. decision. It's okay. like automatic decision that uh, obviously this is a man obviously he's gonna make a gruff dwarf and there's no (laughs) there's no like conscious decision to go about it and there's no Mm. options there's no yeah there's nothing it's just he him his all throughout the whole section right and the first kind of Female example that you run into is on page one hundred and twenty one, which we have come to know very well by now. Um,
1: one twenty one, sparkle music. One twenty one,
0: which is <laughs> which is the character background and personality personality creation. So in it is a section called Tika and Artemis, um, and so it covers uh, personality and kind of background creation. And you have two characters, one male, one female, Tika and Artemis, and information about how, what kind of personalities they have and why. One's like a evil character who has a beard, and one's like a very happy-go-lucky kind of girl. Girl who's trying to, I don't know, find herself or something. Um <laughs> So, yeah, that's the first time you've run into, like, a a, a bigger female example. But, uh, again, it's a female and male. So,
1: so it's good in that respect because it, it has that balance. Yeah, so it has it a balance. Makes you, yeah. It makes you question that earlier example of, like, well, if you have two people creating their personalities together, why didn't you have two people earlier in the book creating, like, rolling their stats and doing mm-hmm. that as well? Like... If you're going to have this kind of equal distribution of gendered players, like fictional mm-hmm. players who are creating fictional characters, why isn't it equal on all grounds? And this might yeah. sound a bit nitpicky, which I it might be. Who knows? But like again, yeah, maybe we only we're had, nitpicking. I
0: don't but know. we only
1: had we only had access to fifth edition to like really study because we have hard copies <laughs> of it, so mm-hmm. we didn't have the time or the effort to. Not effort. That sounds bad. But we just didn't have the time or the resources to um to study all the editions as equally as we did fifth edition. Plus, it was just easier to study it because we know it better. So running into these examples might sound nitpicky to some, but I think there's a point to be made in Lissa's research that it like, yeah, why not do two people creating characters, like maybe follow the same two um, fictional people creating their characters throughout the book. So you have like mm-hmm. this kind of narrative of uh, Billy and Susan or whoever creating Tika and Artemis. Like why couldn't they build their stats at the beginning and then give them personalities at the end, you know? Like almost creating a narrative. Yeah. That so we're, we're, brand,
0: not, we're not saying, you know, it's a, it's a bad thing. Like I, I... Well, I mean, I, I can't speak on that behalf because I created my characters with the help of my DM group.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: my DM and the group, rather. Um yeah. so I didn't e I didn't even read through that section. But I looking through that, it says it talks about Bob and how he decides to create Bruner. And mm-hmm. it's I don't know. It's just it's not very inclusive it could be better i love Mm 5e but it could be better and if the if i were somebody working on this book um for the next for the next uh version or Mm -hmm. you know book i would maybe take that into consideration that you know just to add more female examples really yeah, for sure.
1: Um, and like, I think it's probably better. I think the point that we're like that we're trying to make with pronouns is probably even best illustrated with the stats that you found. Mm-hmm. Like, she did some really great research that I get to present to you all today. I have the honor because apparently mm-hmm. I'm a stats person now. Eighth grade me is quaking because she has a <laughs> C in math, and like, or maybe maybe fourteen year old me because that's when I started getting D's in math. <laughs> I was not a good Ooh. math kid, and in like middle school and high school. I got better in college, but I was not yeah. good. But I I it's I feel honored. So I'm gonna take you through a statistical journey. Mm-hmm. We're gonna start with advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And um I believe what Lissa did was she basically counted every single um usage of a male pronoun. So he, him, his, and he's with an apostrophe S, right? Mm-hmm. And then female, it's she, her, hers with an apostrophe s. Yes. Or did I miss one? No,
0: she, her, her. Yes, I think that's. Okay. I do- <laughs> I don't know pronouns. Don't don't at me. <laughs> pronouns I are complicated. I tried all. I tried all the versions.
1: <laughs> but honestly, even with like a little margin of human error here, because we have two studies. Uh, in this episode, we have one that I did also later on. Even with the small margins of humor, human errors with these stats, I honestly don't think it would make a difference to the totals mm, no. because they're pretty harsh. So we'll start in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So the count of masculine pronouns in total made up 53% of the pronouns used. So that's 47% female. So a majority of male pronouns were used. In second edition, moment of silence <laughs> as I contain my rage uh masculine pronouns made up ninety six percent, which doesn't which makes sense because you know I had that fucking stupid note at the beginning about castrated male pronouns, so that's ninety six percent masculine pronouns and four percent feminine, which probably is some examples um of like creating a female character I think fourth edition because we actually we couldn't study third 3.5 edition because we just didn't have um, a good enough access to it because mm-hmm. <laughs> we uh, we'd have to go through it instead of using technology we'd have to go through it by hand and again unless you donate to our Patreon at <laughs> uh, Can't Be Killed Creations Patreon uh, we don't really have the resources to do that right now <laughs> So we're going straight from 2nd to 4th edition. So 2nd edition to 4th edition. 4th edition, masculine pronouns, 67%. Feminine pronouns, 33%. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then lastly, 5th edition, 63% masculine pronouns and 37% feminine. So weirdly enough advanced dungeons and dragons has the most even dispersal or closest to even dispersal of pronouns in any of the books so just as a reminder for masculine pronouns it goes from 53 percent to 96 percent to 67 percent to 63 percent
0: yeah and i i think that's a it's it's weird to see those stats because specifically for 5E it's meant to be more inclusive towards yeah. women and you know just in general like to gen- different genders and and I just I don't know those those stats just I don't know if they they realize how how uh how they use pronouns. I don't know. Maybe this is just nitpicky, but I th- well,
1: here's the thing. I think maybe the example that we used before was maybe considered nitpicky because it's one specific mm. example out of so many words. But these mm-hmm. are numbers. Like, yeah. These are logistical numbers that we're talking about here. Yeah. With a very clear and very clear male leaning examples mm-hmm. and male leaning pronouns. So they use more you can, I think, safely conclude from these numbers that they use more men examples. They use more men uh, characters that they talk about. Mm -hmm. I don't think they misgender anybody. Like, they don't make the mistakes of other editions where they just use he to describe an entire um, class or an entire race. But in terms of examples, they have some room for improvement. Yeah. Yeah. 5th edition is the best edition for inclusivity, but it still has a pronoun problem.
0: Yeah. And actually, I did do more research. So I did take a look at um, the 5th edition in more detail, and I divided it into sections. um, And uh, there is more data to be gotten here from me, um, but I won't be including it in this episode. Um, So if you do want to find out more... um, we can probably do a Patreon um episode, or we can link it to you on our social media. So if you hit us up on our Twitter at Slovenly Trolls or our Instagram at Slovenly Trolls, um, we'll be able yeah. to get you more of the data because I did do like a division into the different sections and specifically how many pronouns were in different parts and what they all mean, and we can do so that. What's
1: the- What's the best section for pronouns versus what's the worst section yeah, in the book for pronouns?
0: Yeah. yeah. And some of that, all good stuff. <laughs> um, but Sad. yeah, we don't really have time to go all through all of that. Um,
1: Unfortunately. But if you're stat nerds and you want to know more, hit us up. We might give it to you. <laughs> we might yeah. give the stat nerds what they want. Um, now, I'm going to do a little diatribe <laughs> on the importance of point of view and rhetoric. Oh. So you've, you've already heard me use that word before. Uh, and, but first, before I get into all of that, because it, it sounds like a big fancy word, but it's really not, I promise. I'll just quickly define what I mean by point of view, because this does tie into pronouns, because when you use pronouns, you're specifically using the third person point of view. So you are being a distant narrator. So point of view basically means what is the position of the narrator? Who what is the position of the person who is writing this book? And in D&D's case, there isn't really one attributed writer to the D&D handbooks in any of them. There may be some person who is credited with doing more of the work, there may be one editor, but the fact of the matter is a lot of hands touched this book. A lot of a lot of hands typed out these pages. So I think it's safe to conclude that the narrator of these books is just the Wizards of the Coast slash uh, main team of writers slash TSR for the earlier editions. Uh, It's this big, broad uh, kind of umbrella term. And the narrator, their job is to build rapport with their audience, kind of build up a relationship and invite them to either spectate or engage in writing. And they do this with rhetorical devices. (gasps) So rhetoric, for those who don't know, is uh, I had to Google the actual definition because I've used it so much in my (laughs) in my (laughs) educational life that I honestly just did not know how to properly define it. So according to Google, (laughs) (laughs) rhetoric is the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing especially the use of figures of speech and other compositional techniques. So chances are, if you know any of those words that I just blurted out at you, especially rhetoric, you've probably read the elements of style in your AP English class or an English class in uh, college, uh, which is just, you know, the be all end all of grammar. You either love it or you hate it. Or you're familiar with Aristotle and his theories on rhetoric, which is, as he defines, the art of persuasion. Ooh, wow! Because rhetoric uh, can persuade people; it can have an impressive effect on people. It's it's when the writer, the person who is the narrator, making these conscious decisions how to um, how to engage with their audience. How to um, make them enjoy what they're reading more often than not, because a lot of like handbooks and guidebooks are not written in a very engaging way. I don't know if you've ever tried to read a book on like ethics. They're not well written. Whoever writes those books does not use rhetoric very well because like it's just or like a science it, like, you know, when you read like a, a science paper for like uh like your biology class because you're just learning how to cite sources and you just can't sift through it because it's so bulky in its writing. I mean,
0: that I, mean I think even... there's a difference between like writing for uh, recreational purposes versus scientific Paper writing.
1: I disagree, (laughs) vehemently disagree, because like I love learning stuff. Like I didn't realize that until I was older, but I love consuming different like mediums. I love learning about science and math and history. And the easiest way to communicate that with people is with writing it well, (laughs) like with writing Mm -hmm. in an easy to access way. Like my, some of my favorite textbooks that I ever read for school were kind of humorous, and they were like mm-hmm. poking fun at themselves. But I still learned something from them. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's. Oof, I, I don't want to get off topic because I can go on. Yeah. And on so, on.
0: so how does this all tie into the player's handbook?
1: Yes. So, how does this tie into D anD D? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, when the people who were writing this book, they obviously had an audience in mind. They knew who they wanted to reach, they, and they knew how to best communicate with them. So when you read any of the D&D textbooks, you probably see allusions, allusions is a rhetorical device, to other texts. So they will bring up examples, especially in 5th edition, because in um, the classes, they have those excerpts of books, right? Like from the Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. or from Lord of the Rings, they Those are allusions to other texts to ground the reader, to say, hey, you want to play a ranger? Here's an example of a ranger in literature that you can take inspiration from. Second edition actually does this too. They have a list of um, different historical figures or fictional figures to build familiarity with their audience. That's a rhetorical choice. They made that mm. choice to identify with their audience and make it easy to understand. So another example of rhetoric is imagery. In spell description. So when you read spells at the back of the player's handbook, I'll use fifth edition as an example because it's the one I know best. So when you read the spell description fireball, the first sentence is talking about how it's like this spectacular, uh, ball of fire that just rains terror upon your enemies and sets anything flammable in the area on fire. That sounds rad. Who wouldn't want to do that as a spellcaster? Uh, and then after that first sentence or two, then it gets into the kind of more boring, quote unquote, like this is how many damage of dice you do and this is like what effects it has, et cetera. But it
0: opens with that image. So the technical, the technical stuff. The technical, yeah.
1: exactly. So they made a conscious choice in the rhetoric to start with an image and then get into technical stuff. And you see it, you know, anytime that the books like use heroic wording, like you're the hero of your own story. And even when you use the word neutered. So here is where it comes back round. So neutered. rhetoric is like you are choosing specific words to say a specific thing. Now, I don't want to accuse anyone of anything because we don't know the people who wrote these things personally. We can't ask them these questions. We don't have the resources to do that. So I don't want to make a sweeping statement saying they absolutely meant this. But I think there's a good argument to be made that even if they didn't mean to use a word like neutered in second edition preface about pronouns, they subconsciously used that word because they felt that the masculine pronoun was under attack.
0: Who hurt 2e? If you know, please let us know because we are very confused. Um, There is a distinct difference between AD&D and the jump from that into 2E and how they use their pronouns. pronouns And just, yeah, it's, it's just a very big difference. And something happened in between that, which we couldn't find um so if you do know or if you can find that out for us that'd be great hit us up please yeah we can publish that information as well then Mm -hmm.
1: but you know kind of circling around to end this section we'll try to end it on a happy note with the point of view pronoun section so one of the good things about studying all the editions and looking at point of view and rhetoric and pronouns is that you can very similar to uh, Lissa's stats on pronoun use, you can track the point of view throughout the books. Uh, and a brief rundown of, like, they only use third-person perspective and second-person perspective. So third-person perspective is any time that they uh, use he or she because it's it's a distance perspective. It's like a telling a story perspective. Just think of it that way. And then second person is the use of you. It is invasive and it puts the reader into the shoes of the writing. So to track the difference between the books, the first edition uses he or she. Second edition uses he primarily. Third edition is a mix, but kind of a problematic mix. Uh, And... It's weird because in third edition, in 3.5, I'm sorry, in 3.5 specifically, they use you. They, use, they directly address the player as either the player or you. But then when they get into races and classes, specifically classes, they gender the classes. Like they talk about rogues as she and they talk about like sorcerers, I think, as he or barbarians as he. And I thought that was really weird and I didn't understand why they did that. And it wasn't until staring at 3.5 that I realized that the gender matched up with the illustration that they used. So they have a female rogue and then they have like a male barbarian or something, but they don't use the name because those are characters that are recurring characters throughout the book. But it's not clear that those pronouns match up with the character they're talking about. Like you have to like take a step back and kind of, oh, there's a picture of a, a female rogue here. I guess they're talking about her and they have her name like written down. But they never use her name when talking about the rogue. It's very confusing. So it's not like, I don't think it was made with ill intent, but it was, I just thought it was kind of a bit odd and I thought it was worth mentioning because it it, it stuck out to me because it wasn't a clear he or she. It wasn't a clear you. It was like a gendered person that they used for these examples, which is, I think, is the only edition that does that. Uh, Fourth edition, is Bay. I love it. It's all second perspective, second person. It's all you. And I, I never played fourth edition ever, but I've heard not so great things about it mechanically. But after reading through the book and seeing that they use second person and just take the pronouns out of it, It just, it's nice, because it just, it eliminates the problem, and it puts me as the reader into the shoes of these heroes. Not only the players, but the heroes. Like, as a cleric, you will do this. As a barbarian, you will do this. As an elf, you will do this. It's just, it's just nice. And I wasn't sure why the, why they didn't do that in 5th edition, because 5th edition kind of goes back to 3rd edition. And uses a mixture of you and he or she but it doesn't do that weird gendered class thing uh yeah it's it's very it's weird it's I don't know why they don't use you in all of them but TLDR you can track the progress and you could see that there there was a conscious effort to get better except second edition second edition was a regression and then from there they progressed (laughs)
0: Yeah. Until they we don't finally talk about second ended up in fifth edition.
1: But we don't talk about second edition on this chat. Um <laughs> and in my personal opinion, I think that second edition or fourth edition is the best written handbook. You cannot change my mind. But if you want to change my mind, hit me up. But like you probably can't because it, I, I don't mean this to be like insensitive to people whose whose pronouns are very, very important to them and they want to see their pronouns included in books like this. So I don't want to denote that at all. I just say for myself, for personal preference, just taking that out of the equation just solves everything. But I'm also coming from like a rhetorically trained English writing background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's probably why I think the way I think. But Anyway, <laughs> thank you for coming to my TED talk about rhetoric and point of view. I finally get to use my master's degree. <laughs>
0: wow!
1: Yay! <laughs> um, and I believe that brings us to
0: our third and final section. Yes, in this section we will be talking about D and D classes specifically, and Chardé will start us off talking about yes. rhetorical significance. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So now that I've nerded out about rhetoric and why it's important, I can go into – so we – primarily we wanted this episode to be about pronouns, and we were very gung-ho about that. We started doing all the research for that. But then I came across this weird theory that I had when I was reading through the books and researching, and I was reading through all of the – all of the names that D&D uses – to describe their classes. So I'm specifically talking about class names. So before I get into all of that, I want to, let's do a little exercise, shall we? Mm -hmm. About how rhetoric can affect our minds. So this is uh, inspired by an old professor of mine because I had a really terrible problem with naming my characters during my master's degree. I have a master's degree in creative writing, specifically fiction writing, and I had a very hard time coming up with names that fit characters. It's always been a thing. And this professor really gave me a good lesson that i like to pass on to you for free. Because it cost me like 30 grand. But like, here's a lesson for free. <laughs> because... Worth 30 grand. <laughs> this, is, this is worth 30 grand. This one piece of advice. Just, you know, because fuck academia and how expensive it is. Uh, <laughs> but... He gave me a lesson that is basically like, think of what, what, what image comes to your mind when I say the word, like when I say the name Lauren or what comes to mind when I say the word Ashley and you can picture like that character in your name without that character without even having any description because certain names in our society have weight to them. And that's either because only a certain subclass of people name their children this or what have you. So a nice little example is when you hear the name Karen, what do you think of? Take a, take a minute. What do you think of when you hear the name Karen?
0: Speaking to the manager.
1: <laughs> yeah. You think of a woman in her 40s or above with a very specific haircut, probably chunky blonde highlights. Talk, wanting to talk to a manager and it's basically a meme at this point and if you're of a certain age or even above I you think of a certain image when you see the name Karen and this isn't to disparage Karens okay I have two Aunt Karens okay it's not that but when you hear that name because of how society has kind of molded it you think of a certain image right and so mm-hmm. uh, a more writing example more so than a name example so when you see someone texting you in caps lock what do you what tone of voice do you assume that they're using they are shouting exactly they are shouting at you they're really excited they're screaming or it's your 50 year old parents and they forgot how to turn off caps lock <laughs> <Like> it's,
0: <laughs> or, it's yeah, depending on the
1: context yep that, that's depending on out. the context. But mostly you read it as if they're shouting, right? So that's kind of the effect that rhetoric can have just from reading a name. And so when I was doing all this research on why rhetoric mattered in terms of pronouns, I'm like, well, wait a hot minute. Wait a hot minute. And I started flipping through the books and I noticed that all of the D&D class names, they're kind of male centric, right? And okay, please just hear me out. I it might sound reaching, but hear me out. Okay. So I'm going to go through some examples. So when you think of the word bard, what character or person comes to mind? Like when you hear when you when you hear the word bard. Some people might say Shakespeare. Uh according to our favorite edition, second edition, you might think Homer, not Homer Simpson. <laughs> homer of the iliad like the the epic poet homer (laughs) uh because second edition actually has a bunch of fictional and historic examples in their book which is part of the rhetoric of it um but just even looking at the name bard like it it kind of it you can picture a certain person right fictional or non-fictional and then think of, like, a fighter. In 2nd edition, they say examples of fighters are, Hercul- like, Hercules and Spartacus and Alexander the Great. In... For Paladin, they cite Sir Lancelot and the Twelve peers of Charlemagne. For Rangers, they cite Robin Hood and Aragorn. Uh, but they also do mention, and I think this is the only female example of the Huntress Diana for a ranger. Which is weird. Mm-hmm. But even even aside from those examples a second edition has or that even you as the listener are thinking like when you think of the word ranger what do you think of there's also an etymology reason for it like the history of this word because like the take the word monk monk is defined as a man who is a member of a religious order and lives in a monastery and that's according to merriam webster
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Warlock is a male practitioner of witchcraft. Wizard, according to the o- Oxford English Dictionary, is derived, the word wizard is derived from Middle English, wizard or wisered, which is a combination of wise and the old French suffix A R D, which was used as a quote masculine formative to suggest someone who does something to excess. So according to the Oxford English Dictionary, this might be a reason why if you hear the word wizard, you might be thinking of a more masculine figure like Gandalf or Harry Potter, not just because of the literary examples, but also just because of the word itself. So A-R-D, masculine, apparently. Did not know that, but yeah. And I think one of the easiest- What about Bard? Easiest- Excuse you. <laughs> what do you mean? But uh, I, I mean, I guess that, yeah, that checks out. God damn it, Lissa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. I mean, it's God ARD. Damn it. it is ARD. God balls. Uh, so now every time. Oh, uh, God damn it. <laughs> you're right. Uh, so Bard and Wizard. wizard (laughs) Wizard. but I think that the easiest example to kind of point to when it comes to this word association and maybe these words being more masculine is sorcerer because sorcerer has a feminine counterpart and sorceress so why is the class just called sorcerer is it a stance against uh, like is it a stance for equality saying well all sorcerers should just be called sorcerers I don't necessarily think so but like it could be I don't know But kind of going down this deep hole and seeing all these things and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm the only person who thinks this way. Maybe I am just looking at all these names and thinking, okay, well, not all of them have an etymology history like Wizard does or Bard. Not all of them have like Mm -hmm. a sorcerer, sorceress. Not all of them have reasonings like that it's just like a word association thing so when you think of the word ranger like maybe you think of aragorn like from lord of the rings so it got me thinking and so i created a survey (laughs) she really it yeah i i honestly did and i asked people to fill out this survey where i basically wrote out every single uh, one of the main classes that appears in fifth edition specifically So wizard, warlock, sorcerer, rogue, ranger, paladin, uh, monk, fighter, cleric, bard, basically every class. Barbarian, I also did. And I left, I spelled out that word, and then underneath I just left a blank text box. And the instructions were something along the lines of, uh, read the word, and then write down the first person you think of. So the first character... Or the first in real life person. So fictional or non-fictional person. Because I just wanted to test out if I was the only one who thought this way. And I had a lot of responses. Actually. I posted it in a couple of groups on Facebook. uh, To friends and family. Most of these are strangers. But yeah. I think a total of. Oh my gosh. How many people? Like 170-ish people responded so I think it's a pretty good sample size and uh Lissa will go over the stats that I found so I don't take up all your time with my obnoxious droning and <laughs> her you'll be getting some live reactions from her from the mm-hmm. uh the uh, stats that I found so I broke it up by category so barbarian bard cleric etc and then I categorized them by a uh, male name or a female name or a group or gender neutral name. Cause sometimes like for example, the response ranger, a lot of people said power rangers, which is a fictional group of characters. So it was following the prompt, but it wasn't a specific gender. So I labeled it differently. So when Lissa goes over the stats, um, if the numbers don't quite add up to hundred percent, it's because of answers like that, that were a bit of an outlier. And there is also people who put original characters uh, or per- people from their real life. So they would put mm-hmm. like, oh, my D&D character is a cleric. So I think of them when I think of this word. And then I labeled that a specific way. So if the
0: numbers are just a little bit off, that's why.
1: But mm. I'll let you take off from there to share these
0: wonderful numbers. Okay. So the participants of the group, I'll just go through that, I guess, first. Um, m- respondees were mostly female. Either female um, female transgender or female non-binary, um, and that was by around 70% of respondees. Um, we have the male percentage as, let's see, around seven, yeah, around uh, 17%, um, which is both male and male non-binary. Um, then we have some prefer not to say's and a gender. Um and then we do have a specific section for non-binary, neither male nor female, um, which is a whopping six percent. We love that. Wow. Um, love that. So, um so the word association um for mostly women, for 70% around 70% of women. Um, they still recognized the classes of D&D. So we're talking about Barbarian, Bard, Cleric, Druid, Druid Fighter, Monk, Paladin, Ranger, Rogue, Sorcerer, Wizard, and Warlock um, were still um, male-centric. So it was 74% of responses were male examples of these classes. Um, and only 24% of these were female examples um and so for the groups or the gender neutral responses for the classes was only a 2% um so let's look more specifically um we have two obnoxious ob- <laughs> obnoxiously <laughs> obnoxiously <laughs> masculine classes we have barbarian which surprises no one but wizard, I mean I, I I guess so, yeah, Harry, you're a wizard, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we can do that, um so that's ninety two percent for barbarian as male responses, and ninety four percent as wizard, uh okay, as male so there was yeah, yeah, as male responses male examples, yeah. Uh or and that makes it eight percent for female barbarians and six percent for wizard females. Uh the only class that was more female than male was surprising no one, clerics. Uh wow. Because, you know, women are nurses and heal people. <laughs> They're so support that's- systems. Yeah, we just support the men. Um and that's not I mean, I'm not play I'm not putting down anyone who plays a cleric class. I mean, I've never played the cleric class, so that's good for you. Um but it is more female responses with 60% um female and only 40% male. And that's the only mm-hmm. class that has a more female response or more female responses um than male responses. And the only version that we have kind of 50-50, but it's still not 50-50 because it's almost like the cleric class except flipped over, so there's like 59% male uh, and that's for druid. and So that's 59-41. That's the closest we have to a 50-50 mm-hmm. and that's druids. Um, the rest are pretty male-centric again. Uh, we're looking at anything from 68% male responses to all of 88 percent male response and that's for bard fighter monk paladin ranger rogue sorcerer and warlock Mm -hmm. so uh yeah that's not i'm not surprised i didn't expect much uh i i wanted i wanted to be wrong (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah, I, I wanted it to be wrong as well, but then I took the quiz myself and I was like, I cannot think of any female examples, like... Yeah, and, and it's these and, examples,
1: and I, they ranged anywhere from, they were taking examples from TV shows, from literature, from Dungeons and Dragons lore, from video games, from history, like... These responses were taken from a bunch of different mediums and like even in just culturally I think most of the respondents were um American or from western society. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that influences at all but mm-hmm. I mean of, yeah. of course it does. Of course it influences, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean I I don't know 100% cuz I was dumb and didn't <laughs> ask where people were from. I probably should have done that. Um but yeah, it's it's disappointing. I wanted to be wrong. I wanted to be nitpicky about it, but at least from this sample size of people and the people that we asked, I posted this in a DD group that I'm in on Facebook. Two of them actually. My friend posted it in a Dragon Age group, which is a video game franchise, if you're not familiar. Um, and also like a nerd girl group. Like we basically posted this anywhere that where people were even familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know how many people were, but I could safely say a vast majority of people were. Mm -hmm. So they knew fantasy lore and they knew Dungeons and Dragons.
0: So these were mostly people who know what these classes firstly are and associate Mm -hmm. them with something from fantasy literature or Mm -hmm. fantasy-based shows, comics, um, or people, video games. So I guess you could
1: say, I don't know if this is a positive or a negative, but this isn't, again, very similar to pronouns and how it's more of a linguistic cultural problem. This is very much a cultural problem. This Mm -hmm. isn't just D&D. This isn't their fault. I mean, could they have chosen better names to describe these classes? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. But... They're so ingrained in D&D lore. I don't want to like make a sweeping statement like you should change these classes now because they're so iconic. And I I understand why they chose the words that they did. It's not it's not the people who came up with these classes for D&D. It's not their fault that the media and just society in general just has more male examples in it than female Mm -hmm. examples. It's it's a societal problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a shining light in this research. Well, two. One and two. So firstly, the popularity of uh, D&D streaming shows like Critical Role tipped some of these percentages a little bit. So for the Druid class specifically, um, they listed characters from Critical Role. So if you're familiar with it, Keyleth from Critical Role. The Cleric was very heavy-handed for Pike and uh, Jester. So... They, there were also some examples from shows like The Adventure Zone as well, but that's all. That's more of a male-centric cast. But I thought it was really interesting that a lot of people now associate these classes with people who are playing D&D on a global scale, like mm-hmm. for streaming. And mm-hmm. that that group specifically, Critical Role, has a great 50-50 divide of men and women players.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, that was really cool to see. I could see it didn't tip the scales too much, but it was cool to see. Um, and I did do more research on this topic, but very similar to Lissa. I don't really think we have time (laughs) to cover all that I have. Um, I mean, we could in another episode for our Patreon or maybe if enough people ask for it, like on Twitter or Instagram, if you hit us up, I also have the statistics of what specific, um, what specific examples were given that were the most popular. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll give one tease. I'll give one tease. Okay, so for Barbarian. <laughs> I feel bad because this one, because this was probably the most conclusive one. So for Barbarian, the number one response was Conan the Barbarian. Mm. So that kind of example kind of goes to show like what kind of characters people were thinking of when they thought of when they when they filled out the survey. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, w- that was my deep dive that I did for, like, two weeks <laughs> doing the, the research for this episode. Um, yeah. But I also have another good thing. It actually has to do with Lisa because hmm. people Me? were listing their – Yeah, you! People listed a lot of their original characters, and I couldn't count them, even though I knew they were women names – I couldn't count them towards the female count because they're not like a recognized like media source. And that was kind of what I was farming for. I'm not sure if that's the right statistical term. Probably not. Um that's not really what I was looking for.
0: Because I was if looking more for middle like ages.
1: <laughs> Always. I'm always in medieval times. She is. But I was I was disappointed that I couldn't count the number of women examples for original characters because I think I know a lot of women personally, not just in this survey, but I know women personally who are flipping the tables on a lot of these classes, right? And you're one of them because you chose to play a half-orc barbarian woman in the campaign that you play in of mine as my Mm -hmm. player. So I was curious... Could you give us... Was that choice, like, very intentional? Like, you wanted to play, like, a traditionally masculine class? Or was it more like, oh, this seems cool. Like, I want to do this, and I don't want to be, like, a floofy druid. <laughs> Not dru- all druids are floofy, but that was just the first example that came into my head.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, specifically for your campaign, um, I... You need it. Firstly, of all, first of all, I I, I sat in on a, a session of yours, and I I this was one of the. So I joined D and D, and I immediately kind of joined two groups within a number of months, and I kind of had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but I just dove right in and was like, okay, here's two campaigns. That this is fine. This is this is fine. This will overtake my life in a matter of weeks. But yep, that that's all dead now. So. I joined specifically and I kind of asked I think I asked you like what what would I do and what are you like missing from the group? And I I think a lot of people at that point were like, Yeah, we need a tank or something. And looking back at it now, I I know that like that was the first thing that got got me to it, but I have like an interest in I guess I, I root for the underdog. I want to do things that are weird. I want to try new things. I mean, I guess my both of my characters are pretty, like, on point with, like, it's stereotypical. So when you have a half-orc, of course they're a barbarian. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. But -hmm. then I do something with the character personality that I try to make them a little bit different. And I think because I root for the underdog, I want to try something weird and funky so I I do something stereotypical but then I do it with a twist or or I try. I don't know if it works out, but I guess yeah. I guess I I have for and for Riva specifically, I I wanted to create a fun character for me to play. So I wanted to create a very manly character who is, you know, big, bulky, super hairy, <laughs> and like this uh, apparent like essentially a soldier mm-hmm. and this like gruff woman because i myself am small and petite and none of this so i wanted to play with like i guess i guess it's just like playing with um stark differences like lots of contrast mm-hmm. so she's she's like big bulky like wants to be a man essentially But she's also a woman and then I'm also a feminist so of course she has a story going for her of like how she's fighting stereotypes of because soldiers are meant to be men and how she was stuck in a kitchen and she hated it and she essentially fucked really badly up because she was in the kitchen. And she shouldn't have been. So yeah. I don't know. So it's- that really went
1: against stereotypes. It's like women belong in the kitchen. Not not this, not Reva. <laughs> not my half
0: orc barbarian. Absolutely nope. not. You stick her in the kitchen and she fucked right up. And uh, yeah, that's 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 how she, how her uh campaign started and how she was fleeing fleeing everyone because she f- done fucked up. Um It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it it's it's like the underdog story and it's like the feminist point of view I guess and just trying out different versions and playing things that are and also like everybody's always a magic user so I'm like I don't want to play a magic user because like everybody's a magic user all the time. It's because the
1: magic users are overpowered in 5th edition that's why
0: (laughs) Yeah so unfortunately in like both of the campaigns there were like I felt like everybody was a magic user so I'm like I want do something really physical because I'm yeah. not physical and I want to kick yeah. ass and be you know the one that's not a magic user standing at the back and being squishy so I want to be hardcore I don't know
1: yeah no that makes sense and I think you're not alone in that so if any of you have similar stories like you are uh, a woman who plays a more masculine character or you wanted mm. to explore uh, more masculine stereotypes and kind of flip these classes on their heads because you know you think of barbarians you think of like half-orc or even goliath barbarians you think of monks and um outside of critical role you probably think of like you said the shaolin warriors was like what you thought of
0: yeah so for monk i was like shaolin warriors because i am obnoxiously biased and i know about those so
1: <laughs> and i didn't but those are a primarily male.
0: Historically, oh, no, right. no. They they are actual monks and they just study uh, martial arts and yeah like, really good at it. Right. And then I think the monk class is actually based on probably them. Or at least mm-hmm. I think some of the, because uh, I think there are different fighting styles. I think they have a specific fighting mm-hmm. style that they're known yeah, for.
1: Yeah, kind of like Avatar where like each of them, each of the Avatar and Avatar the Last Airbender, each of the fighting styles animation wise mm-hmm. is based off of a specific type of martial art. Yeah, probably. I could see that. But maybe, maybe we'll do a deep dive on that. Um, but yeah, to to wrap up this section about character names and class names, I just yeah, I just went on a deep dive. I, I created a survey. I didn't want to be right, but I was right. And I yeah, so it kind of unfortunately proved my point doing the survey that. As a rhetorical device, these names carry with them a certain masculine weight, either because of their etymology or because in pop culture there are way more male examples than female examples. But as a good point towards D&D, it's a societal problem. Yeah. More so than a DD and d problem. Yeah. And this isn't a call to arms to change the class names. It's just something that I think I wasn't aware of before that now I know – I can't unknow and so when I know something that I can't unknow I have to tell other people about it so they are burdened <laughs> with this with knowledge this knowing. and I thought it fit in I just thought it fit in
0: perfectly with what we were talking about with rhetoric as well and yeah.
1: point of view and
0: stuff so I think what this goes to say is we need more female iconic characters in fantasy in media in books Mm -hmm. in movies in entertainment we just need more female icons and i think that's what we can learn from this um so that when you do the word association between classes and that you can just think of like empowering women who are kicking ass and taking names hell yeah You know what I just thought of, too? mm.
1: You know it would be a really good monk? Mm. Buffy.
0: (gasps) Oh, my God. Why didn't I
1: think of that? Why didn't... Anyway, sorry. I just had to share that, too, because I just thought of that.
0: (laughs) If you you do have good stories about, like, kick-ass characters that you've made, whether or not they're wizards or magic users, because I am not biased at all whatsoever. No, of course not. Um... Please do let us know because it's always mm-hmm. fascinating to hear about iconic. Um, not even just like women, just gender neutral people. Because I've never played yeah. like a gender neutral character, and I don't. I don't even know if I would be able to. I want to listen to more podcasts with like inclusive characters. Really, like if you I'm have any suggestions
1: this? for stuff for us to listen oh to, God, too, yes. please, yes. like, please or literature like, hit us up.
0: or just any- yeah. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: Yeah, because we need and then we can use our platform to be like, hey, y'all should read this or listen to this. We can give it our stamp of approval and just be like, we should totally do this. Oh, my God. We could start a book club.
0: <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. Oh my
1: God. If enough people are interested, I will be so down for it. <laughs> yes. So, so down for it. You have no idea. <laughs> 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 um,
0: But I think that's basically all we had for today. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I guess we should wrap this up. Um, Probably. <laughs> uh, as we have been speaking for the past, however long we've been speaking, I haven't kept track, um, pronouns and points of view are very important, um, and specifically in Dungeons & Dragon player handbooks, they are very important and something that hopefully... Um, Wizard of the coast will keep an eye on um mm-hmm. whether or not they listen to this podcast maybe they will i don't know um but hopefully they will be able to take some pointers um mm-hmm. that we've voiced out here today and uh keep an eye on inclusivity statements which i mean if the people want it they should give us right that's how this works I mean, D&D has
1: always been – I think when I came, when we were doing research on the introductions, I wrote down that um, even in second edition, which is now just the bane of both of our existences, I think mm. – after this podcast, even in second edition, there's this really lovely note. I forget which developer wrote it, basically thanking the players for all of the notes that they had and how DD was just a passion project and it was for the players and the players helped shape every edition, right? And mm-hmm. that they've, Wizards of the Coast, TSR, Gary Gygax, they've always had this open relationship with their players, and that is one of the that best things about yeah, yeah. one of the best things about D anD. d They do listen. So when we give these critiques, when we give suggestions, it's with the hopes that they don't need to take it. They are well within their rights to say, "No, we're not going to do that because X, Y, and Z." But we're lovers of the game, players of the game, and hopefully, if enough people agree with us, maybe we can make some positive change, and that'd be mm. pretty rad. I think.
0: Yeah. And I think we've covered that before. All change starts from voicing your opinions and having a discussion and mm-hmm. just talking about it. Um, And that's what we're trying to do here is to give pointers and make D&D more inclusive and better for everyone. Not just mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. For sure. Faux shizzle. <laughs> yeah. So um, we are going to end with... um a quote from a forum because I just love going to forums and seeing what <laughs> people write about things apparently so this is <laughs> this is from the same uh, forum well forum location uh, it's a different thread but um it's the one that we covered in the first episode uh the enworld.org mm-hmm. um so I found a questionnaire well a poll I guess not a questionnaire a poll, um, and this was in 2013, so, you know, we have uh, gone, we we have evolved, that's right, we have (laughs) evolved from that time, but I just thought it was interesting um, of this poll from 2013, and the question was how should pronouns be handled in RPGs, so role-playing games? Um, And it was kind of 50-50, so uh, around 100 people um, and I'm, I'm guessing that's mostly men, males, um, but I'm not saying it's just men, but I'm going to guess that mostly men are in there, um, or just hardcore D&D nerds. Educated um, guess. Yeah. I mean, based on the responses anyway. Um, so we've got a 50-50 tie. Well, it's 34% and 36%. Um, responses, uh, said that use masculine pronouns generically. Ugh. Or... Then the other response was alternate between masculine and feminine pronouns. And that's how we should handle that in RPGs. So, uh, mm-hmm. just uh, interesting. Um, but there was one um, post in the thread that just, I think it just sums up everything. Um, mm-hmm. Because as we know, pronouns are not just a problem in D&D. It's just a general language problem to begin with um so this person Delarico 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 um quotes honestly i'm surprised i'm surprised this is even a discussion do we really believe wizards of the coast would even consider going back to all masculine pronoun use rightly or wrongly that ship has sailed do you agree? Do you
1: disagree? Oh, I, I mean, I agree. Yeah, mm. I, I don't see any um, any future for Wizards of the Coast to go back to all masculine pronouns, especially with the sections on sex and the inclusivity they've been doing recently with um, just all sorts of every gender, every race. They're, they're putting out statements about how they want as many people to play D&D as possible from whatever walk of life. So yeah, no, definitely, nah. They, they're they not going to go back. And if they do, we are in the darkest timeline and we need to roll a die, a D6, to get into the other timelines.
0: Oh, yeah. hmm Anyway, on that note, we hope you have enjoyed this episode on looking at rhetoric. Rhetoric? Rhetoric. <laughs> rhetoric.
1: <laughs> I mean, I've heard people say both. To be fair, I'm just an ass.
0: Okay. Rhetoric? And uh, pronouns and points of view, and mm. we will sign off. We are the Slovenly Trolls, and always remember, don't be don't be a, a dick. Dick. <laughs> wow. are So together. Bye. 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 <laughs> so together. <laughs> so together. Slovenly Trolls.
1: Slovenly Trolls. We're big, bad, evil girls. The Slavenly Charles podcast is part of the Can't Be Killed Creations podcast network. Make sure to check us out at campykilledcreations.com.